the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, Sanira Chaudhry is here, employment lawyer at Workley Law. Robert Benzie is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star. Richard Krause, host of the podcast, Last Call with Richard Krause, and uh, doing a lot of guest work here these days. I uh, hope you're enjoying that. I am. I am. I love hearing from uh, the listeners. We get loads of phone calls. Uh, I'll be in on the rush on Friday. I'm taking over for Jim when he goes on holiday later in the month. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool stuff. Um, So let's begin with a story that is in the star today. So Robert Benzie, you get to go first. And this would be how municipalities are pushing back against the province's housing plan. In particular, what they don't like. And there's a lot. I was at a convention this weekend where we were. I, I kept using the expression big footing that Queen's Park is big-footing municipal and regional government, and uh, they liked it, so they started using it themselves. Um, But the big deal is development fees, which are going to be waived in many cases, in which case the municipalities are going to be left short of of cash. Uh, Yeah, I mean, John, this is going to cost municipalities billions of dollars, and the the government wants to get rid of development fees so that more housing can be built, uh, more attainable, affordable housing can be built. And that's a, a good goal, I suppose. But the problem is municipalities rely on these fees. In Toronto, uh, it can be almost $100,000 per home uh, for, a, for a development charge. And those fees go toward paying for roads, paying for sewer, sewers, paying for transit, all of these other things. So the, the, the Tories have yet to articulate a, 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 a feasible um, way for municipalities to make up that lost revenue. Um, they've said that there's this housing accelerator fee uh, fund from the federal government, but that's only worth about in Ontario worth $1.6 billion. So it's not clear to me, and that's a one-time fund. It's not an annual thing, and development charges are something that happens every year. So I'm, it's not clear to me how they are going to make it up to municipalities. And as Scott Reed was saying earlier on, on round one, uh, you've, you've, made a, you've made an enemy in 444 municipalities across Ontario when you do something like this. So they've really got to really bore down and figure out a better way uh, uh, to, to help municipalities on this one. Yeah, Richard Krause, I love the idea of accelerating house building, but I still don't know why it has to be incentivized because it's already profitable. Absolutely. I mean, I like so much of this. I like that uh, the the changes uh, in regard to allowing up to three units and duplexes and triplexes on single residential uh, plots of land. I think that's an amazing idea. We do it in parts of Toronto here, and uh, it helps with density. It provides places for people to live. But I really doubt that waiving these uh, development charges will all of a sudden make all of these new houses affordable for people. Uh, it it doesn't seem to make sense when you do the mathematics to me that all of a sudden this is going to be the the key turning point and what it does is rob the municipalities so i have a feeling that a lot of the uh, services that the municipalities are meant to provide roads and you know all that kind of stuff will suffer as a result so you'll have these spanking new houses and new subdivisions and things uh, but with terrible roads and and not the without the kind of infrastructure that they need. So I think this is uh, uh, backwards at the minimum. It's a backwards plan. Yeah, Sonera, I don't know what the formula would be that would make this all work, but this one doesn't appeal to me and certainly doesn't appeal to the municipalities. Well, I absolutely, I mean, I think um, Benzie and, and Richard obviously laid out a lot of the concerns for the municipalities, but I think also, I mean, there's a huge 
sort of conflict of interest issue this the optics of this aren't great um we know that this this bill has been pushed through relatively quickly we do know that um that what are being called land spectators or landowners stand to to make a lot of money from from this transaction potentially and a conflict of interest like this wouldn't fly in a lot of you know the private sphere i really do wonder if the office of the integrity commissioner of ontario um is going to look into this because you know generally in general business of course um but of course also for government officials you do need to declare financial interest you don't get to give preferential treatment and we do uh we're hearing a lot of that criticism with respect to um uh, this this land swap um in addition to to a lot of the other sort of developmental issues that the other panels have already raised. Okay, well, Robert, we've kind of slipped into a second topic, but still from the same file, and that would be, and again, this is work that's being done in the Toronto Star, um, where people who donate generously to the Conservatives uh, seem to know something about the land that is going to become available, and I'm choosing my words carefully because i got a lawyer myself here. Um, Just before I hand it off to you, though, Robert Benzi, when Deb Hunt was on one of our roundtables, she was saying, well, you know, this is just the star saying, here's A, here's B, must be related. Uh, I mean, what do we really know? Well, I mean, all we can do is present the facts. Um, There's 15 plots of land that were protected in the Greenbelt or or are protected in the Greenbelt, but will soon no longer be in the Greenbelt and can be developed. And eight of those plots are linked to conservative donors, um, developers who uh, donate land, who donate money to the party. And, and they have donated to the Liberals when they were in power as well, so we should make that clear. But one of the sales was two months before the the uh, announcement, so that it, it, the optics are not great for the government. We were pressing Steve Clark, the Municipal Affairs Minister, yesterday on whether this was an example of quote-unquote cronyism. He said no. He said we need to do this to, in order to build 50 thousand homes on these particular 15 plots of land. He said this land is ready to be serviced. It's adjacent to, you know, existing subdivisions. But you know what? It really, it's a bad look and the government is taking a lot of heat on it. And I, I think they're going to continue to take a lot of heat. I've, heard, I've been hearing ads on, on News Talk 1010, uh, again, you know, save the Greenbelt ads already. So, so that's interesting. Well, and God bless them because the power of radio is fantastic. And so we're, I, I was just speculating that for the next year, the advertising budget of everybody fighting over this issue is going to be fantastic. <laughs> the latest data dump is available for the impact of the Young Street. It's not just a bike path, actually. I mean, they created the, this Dine TO, or as Robert Turner calls it, Dine in the Gutter TO. Um, but here are the quick, broad strokes. Vehicle travel times in this stretch of Young between Bloor and Davisville um, were 70 seconds longer to make that transit. Um, then we get to data on cycling volumes, which were up between 45 and 162 percent compared, or uh, depending on the time of day. Pedestrian volumes also up. Uh, one matter of concern is that the time it takes a fire truck to make its way through that area was 48 seconds, but then you have to compare that to an increase of 43 seconds in all other parts of the city. Anyway, slices, let's start with our designated uh, boulevardier, and that would be Richard Krause. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't buy it. I, you know, I live uh, sort of right in the middle of where all this is happening. We, we you and I sort of bookend uh, this this uh, cafe to uh, situation and the narrowing of the lanes. And I just don't buy it. I, you know, I have anecdotal evidence every, you know, couple of weeks when I go get my hair cut on Young Street, the old guys all sit around and talk about how much worse the traffic is here as they look out the window at that stretch of Young Street. And it always seems to me that it is more congested. I don't believe that it's only a minute and a half. It's adding a minute and a half to uh, uh, the commutes. I, I just don't buy into it. I'd love to see a real serious breakdown of these numbers because from what I've read, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, Sanira, I won't deny it's very controversial. As a matter of fact, uh, Gary Slate, the uh, former owner of this corporation, um, is you know he's been eating at uh, John Tory's ear forever to get him to strip <laughs> them out. So the other day, I actually went into the restaurant where he was eating, and he was eating with the mayor, and the two of them were sitting there arguing about it. And Gary had proposed to give him one of those counting devices so he could count the bikes as they went by. <laughs> um, but anyway, your thoughts on these figures? Richard's not buying them. I'm uh, with Richard on this. I live right in the Esplanade area. I've lived in King West prior to. I think um, uh, now I don't I don't live in that sort of that stretch that's being covered by this active TO or this uh, new report. But if you go anywhere in the city of, of Toronto, meaning a financial core, anywhere in the core, it, it is taking a heck of a lot longer to get from point A to point B. It's go on, whether it's Richmond, whether it's Adelaide, the construction is sort of, um, I think, at its peak. So to get, uh, and, and by the way, like just two weekends ago, there was a Santa Claus parade. There was also closures for the the, the Christmas market in, in the distillery district. So closures on top of construction has left the city in a bit of a um, stranglehold. I can I can certainly say that on the weekends, I think not just like twice, but thrice about leaving you know my my uh, unit in a car knowing that it's going to take me i think two to three times longer than i would ever expect to get anywhere um so i don't know how brampton got to be so joyless but uh in the, in the same day they canceled fireworks and then they also moved to make it illegal to put a an election sign on your front lawn on private property uh, richard Krauss, they are a visual blight but they're also mm -hmm. part of democracy i imagine this could end up in a charter challenge yeah, I think it probably will. Uh, I have to tell you that one way or the other, I, they don't really matter to me. But I do know that if I was uh, someone who was up against an incumbent, if I was someone with no name recognition in uh, the neighborhood or area that I was trying to be elected in, I would want these signs and I would want them uh, on all of my neighbors' front lawns. Uh, I find personally, uh, they just become kind of white noise for me. During election time, I can walk through a neighborhood and I'm aware that there are signs with various colors on them on the uh, uh, the front yards of a lot of people, but the names don't stick in my head. Yeah, Robert Benzie, our next door neighbors, had two different election signs during the last provincial election, and I thought that must be an interesting dinnertime conversation. Yeah, I agree with you, John. I think that it's it's ripe for a charter challenge. Um, I, and and I'm, I I mean we all live in in Toronto, and none of us are, none of the four of us are in Brampton. But uh, I I wonder what is this going to do for the 
virtue signalers on my on my street who have like highway stop the highway 413 signs or you know I support my neighbors living in tents and encampments those signs are those allowed in Brampton I, I don't know I mean it's it's going to be interesting to see because if it's if it's your private property and you want to put up a sign saying I'm voting for you know the rhinos uh, why shouldn't you be allowed to do that um, I, you know what? I'm going to have to call it there because we're out of time and we have to get to the news. So my thanks to Sinira Chaudhry, Robert Benzi, Richard Krauss. I know for a fact, because I already collided with Hurricane Jerry in the corridor, that it's going to be one hell of an opening today. So I, I don't know how he can get that worked up when the microphone's not even on. Uh, stick around for Jerry Agar and my thanks to Joe Cristiano and Nick Mayorano for their work on the show. We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully with my voice in, uh, in better shape, because it's been a bit of a struggle today. All right, time to clear the decks and get ready for the 9 a.m. news. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.